Good morning. Hope everyone's doing all right. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of James. Book of James. That's what we're, we've been sitting in. You guys are going to be tired of the book of James by the end of this month. And uh, so we'll put, maybe put James references to bed uh, for a good couple months uh, this week. Been doing a lot of planning, sermon planning for the upcoming, honestly, next six months. I know the direction that we're going to be taking, working on, working on Easter stuff. Yes, I am rushing the winter. Uh, I'm up to here with all the snow. Um, actually, I cut my lawn this week. Do you know why? Because I could. Oh, I love cutting my lawn so much. Google Earth, take the picture right now. Um, so, oh my word, it was just exciting to have some good weather, cut the lawn, uh, relax this week in terms of no shoveling or anything of that sort. Uh, we already looked at the weather for Christmas candlelight, supposed to be 43 degrees, not like last year where we had to cancel everything. And I would encourage you, uh, we've got these, these little invites that are on the back tables, and if, they're, if we've run out, there's some on the, on the counter out at the Connect Center. And these are just simple invites, gives all the information for the 22nd. Um, a friend of mine just told me this week, he said, yes, he's going to come. And he told me he's bringing friends with him. So I'm telling you, invite people out. People are looking for places to celebrate. The music is going to be phenomenal. Um, the message will be eh, uh, but the music will be awesome. And uh, I'm telling you, it's going to be a great time. We've got uh, small little things for the kids, for a little interaction during the service itself. Uh, I cannot wait. It's one of the best services of the year. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word? James chapter 3, verse 13. And if you ever forget your Bible, you have it on your phone. That's what the preacher did this morning. Forgot his Bible in his office. If you are wise and understanding in God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and, and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover it up the truth with boasting and lying, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and it is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers, will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Jesus, we thank you for this day, for the moment here, to just sink into who you are and ask that you would just continue to work in our hearts. Lord, we ask that the word, the big W word, that Jesus would impact our lives. And that the word said today would be like seed that would fall upon good soil that would produce fruit. So that, Lord, our lives would become more and more like you. So, Lord, we speak blessings on what at all. We speak it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, turn to your neighbor, give them a high five, and tell them that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Hopefully, uh, you've got some good caffeine in you. I don't know uh, where you stop on your way to church to get some caffeine. Some of you go by Big B. Some of you go get your Starbies before uh, Sunday morning, wherever you go. Um, let me just give some props. Our local Big B donates our coffee on Sunday mornings. Could we give it up to our local Big B? That's awesome. Hopefully, one day, the local Ruth Chris will donate for Sunday morning. But that's awesome. I love that. I love, I love, I love watching our community and how generous they are. Um, I got a, 
I got a text from one of my best friends. I, I've got a lot of pastor friends, and one of my best friends contacted me, and he goes, I'm in trouble. I said, what'd you do? He says, my, my wife and I are just in this really good season, so I decided to text her something a little bit more intimate. And he says, I'm like, well, what did you send to Rachel? He says, he goes, what, what? He goes, I'll give you a screenshot of what I sent to Rachel, but the Rachel in my congregation got the text. What a great week to not be him. Oh, man. <laughs> I love him so much. Have you ever had one of those moments where voice to text, where autocorrect or whatever? I've, yeah, I've sent some unfortunate things to my parents. I have... Uh, one time I posted into one of my local pastor groups an opinion, and uh, somebody wrote me and says, you need to go change that. And I realized that my voice-to-text actually put cuss words into this uh, minister's group. So I still have my credentials, by the way, and people still hold that over my head. It's wonderful. Um, but I came across a tweet a while ago that I think is just priceless. And here's the tweet. Tried to text, I'm on my way, but I sent, I'm in my way, and I think I just had a therapy breakthrough. I mean, it's kind of deep, isn't it? You go to text, I'm on my way, and you're asking yourself, well, am I actually in my way? Have you ever gotten in your own way before? I mean, a mistake in a text is just almost like it revolutionizes your brain. Have you ever gotten in your own way? Like with a, an emotion, have your emotions ever gotten in your way? Has your spouse's emotion? Don't, no, 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 don't answer that. <laughs> Has your opinions ever gotten in your own way? A snap reaction get in your own way. And so today we're, we're recognizing that we can get in our own way often, if not all of the time, and we have to recognize that now, perhaps more than ever, we need godly wisdom. We need wisdom. We need to know how to live. Because wisdom is not about what you know, it's about how you live. And now, I'm not anti-intelligence. I think we should have intelligent people in the church. I remember uh, having a good conversation. I was over, I was, uh, over in England doing a mission trip. I was getting ready to preach, having a conversation. And we had this conversation about Pentecostals. I'm a Pentecostal. I'm a charismatic. I've always been proud to be a charismatic. And he said that there was a time in England for which... When it came to being Pentecostal, that it came with this idea that we didn't need education. We don't need education. All we need is, is the Holy Spirit. And so they try to use the term charismatic as opposed to Pentecostals because of that type of mentality. But I think education is good. And someone challenged me this week to get my master's. So I'm still waiting for that rock climbing scholarship to help pay you that way. Um, but I, I think education is wonderful. I thank God for teachers. I think teachers are unbelievable principals, assistant principals. Can we give it up for our educators in the room? Can we do that? All of that stuff's important. But how many of you know you can have somebody that is very educated, but they don't have a lot of wisdom? You can have someone with a lot of knowledge, but they don't have a lot of wisdom. Like, someone can know how to handle themselves on the street, but doesn't mean they have wisdom. We have to be a people of wisdom. And so James dives into this topic and begins to talk about wisdom. Why? Because he's writing to a church that is a little bit chaotic at this point. They have been scattered throughout the known world because of persecution, and they are living in different parts. They are moved to different ends of their, their known earth, so to speak. And so James pens this letter, and the letter was to be delivered and actually read to 
to these groups all in this area. And James wants to talk to them about how to get wisdom. He wants them to know how to live wise lives in a very, very culturally chaotic world. Now, if you understand James or do any studies of James, James really seems like he's got two major uh, themes, or maybe two major, what's the word I'm looking for, um, inspirations. And some commentators will say, James' main inspiration is the teachings of Jesus, specifically Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, which is why you see certain phrases and certain words that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount, James uses them in his letter. The other inspiration is the book of Proverbs, specifically Proverbs chapter 1 through 9, for which James borrows and he leans into. And many people, commentators will call the book of James the Proverbs of the New Testament because it is, it is so basic, it is so principle, and not basic like it's too simple. It's rubber meets the road. Here's how to practically live for God, which is why he wants to give wisdom. What is wisdom? I believe wisdom is a unique skill for living. And wisdom comes, I believe, as a gift from God, and it comes at a time where you ordinarily wouldn't know what to do, but God gives you, to, gives you something in the moment. How many of you know that in this day of chaos, that we need wisdom more than ever before? We can't just hold ourselves up inside the church. We need a people that will move out from Sunday morning and begin to live well before God and well before man as wise people. Because we can't operate according to the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom is what I will call conventional wisdom. The world's wisdom will say, you know what? Don't tithe. Don't serve. Just be you, boo-boo. Just do your thing. Just go with your feelings. That's conventional wisdom, but I will say this. Conventional wisdom can actually rob you from miracles, but godly wisdom will actually lead you toward miracles. Conventional wisdom will begin to say, pull back, don't do this, or don't do that. I know that's what God says, but if you don't feel like it today, how many of you know that feelings cannot order our lives? Man, the worst thing that could happen to us is not a zombie apocalypse. It's everybody acting according to their feelings in the moment. I'm more afraid of, this, the, the, of those people than the zombies themselves. But conventional wisdom, the world's wisdom, can keep us from miracles. But when we step into godly wisdom, when we follow his direction, that's when we actually see miracles happen. I love what Proverbs says. Proverbs 4, verse 7 in the Berean Study Bible says, Wisdom is supreme. I love how it says that. It's the best. I love a, Lisa Turkus. I love reading her stuff. I love listening to her. She says this, wisdom makes decisions today that will still be good tomorrow. That's deep. When God gives us wisdom in a moment, it's not just wisdom that is, if, it feels good to say it or it feels good to do it or it feels good to follow through on it. It's something that actually makes sense the next day and the next day and the next day. And so James writes this book because he wants to help the church to be people who are full of wisdom. And look here. He says this. James chapter uh, 3, verse 13. If you are wise in understanding, understand God's ways. Sorry, I'm, I'm using another translation. Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from, what does it come from? Wisdom. In other words, wisdom it's going to be shown in the way that you live your life. Well, I'm a wise person. Here, here's what James would say. Prove it. Don't ever boast about your wisdom if you're not living out your wisdom. Wisdom that is self-contained isn't wisdom at all. You've hoarded something, and when, unless you're putting it into practice, wisdom doesn't become wisdom until you actually, it's more than speaking it, you start actually living it out. 
Because Christ did not come into your life to make you simply a better you. The Holy Spirit is not upon your life to bedazzle your life to make you sparkly out in this world. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that He doesn't want to make you a better you. He wants to make you a brand new you. Because in Christ, that we are new creatures, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that in Christ, that we are all made brand new in Christ. And so, listen, Christ has come in, not to make you the better you, but to make you a brand new you. So that we walk in a transformed life, and not simply a better life than what we had before. It's a transformed life. And that's how we start proving it. Verse 14. Turn back on. There you go. But if you're bitterly jealous, and there's selfish ambition in your heart... Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and, he goes for the jugular, demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every kind of evil. In other words, don't do it the world's way. Don't do it the way the culture says it. Do it the way Jesus says it. We need wisdom. Well, where do I get, get wisdom? Go back to chapter 1 because James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask, and God gives generously. Some of you remember week 2 when we, we poured out the M&Ms all over the stage? He's the God that gives more than what you have asked for. He doesn't hand out wisdom with an eyedropper. Pastor, I've got a friend that needs to know Jesus. Can you come talk to them? I'm like, no, 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 no. Why don't you talk to them? You got the cred. You got the relational equity, I don't know what to say. But that's when you lean into God, because God, when you ask for wisdom, He will give you wisdom. He'll, give, he'll help you to know not just what to say, what to speak, when to speak, when to listen, how to say it, when to say it. He will help give you wisdom. And then we get to verse 17. And James paints a portrait of what the characteristics of a person with wisdom and what they are like. And so that's what we're going to break down this morning. Chapter 3, verse 17, James shows us wisdom. If you're a note taker, it's a great morning to take notes. Would you write this down? Wisdom number one comes from a pure heart. Verse 17, wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's pure. And I want you to make a note of something. If you don't get this first one, the other five don't matter. Wisdom is pure. Now this is the thing, because I've heard this from people for years. I've heard this in, in regards to following God, to things that God wants them to do, from tithing to serving to, um, to being involved in community to whatever. I, we get this idea from people that if I can't do everything and I can't do it fully, I don't do it at all. And so when it comes to being pure, some of us think that, well, if I can't ever be pure, then why try? But I want to help correct an idea that you might have about purity, because when you think of purity, you might think of perfection. But purity is not about perfection. Purity is about direction and attitude. Because when we think about purity, like some of you are like, well, I'm, I want to be pure, but I can't be pure, so why try? But purity is about direction and attitude that just simply says this, I want to do this God's way. Because I don't know about you, but this week, I failed in that. Anybody failed this week at wanting to do God's way and you didn't do God's way? Thank you for the six people that are lifting their hands. The rest of you are lying. But it's that attitude that simply says, I want to do this God's way. Psalm 51, David created me a 
pure heart, a clean heart. Romans 12, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. I love 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, where he says the law is no longer a burden. Why? Because we have a pure desire to want to follow God. Matthew 5, uh, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. What is this all saying? Is that when you have a pure heart, you want to do what God does. And then when you want to do what God does, the things and the rules of following God, they don't become rules, they become part of the relationship. How many, how many of you know that in marriage there are rules? I had one, yeah. I need to do another marriage series. Like, first of all, don't text people intimate things that are not your spouse. There's a good rule. I hope he's listening to this. When he listens to me every once in a while, we're going to have a lot of fun. But we have got rules. But you know what? Those rules that we have set up about the opposite sex or about standards, about the way we talk about How many of you know they don't feel like rules when you're in love? Because you're not doing it to keep up with a thing. You're doing it to live out who you are. And so purity is that direction. And so we've got to start looking at the things and asking ourselves, are there things that are making my heart impure? Like if you have something that's pure gold, that means that any contamination has been taken out of the gold. It's pure. Or how about this? Um, how many in the house you actually have like a water filter? Anybody have a water filter? We have water filters. Look at, yeah, we got water filters. Y'all have Kalamazoo water too, right? Okay. Now, have you ever broke open a water filter to look inside of it? Don't. You will never drink tap water ever again. But when you get to the end of utilizing it or the life of that filter, you just, just don't look at it, just chuck it away. But if you were to open it up, you would actually see some of the things that have been drawn out of the water that you would have been put in. What it is trying to do is trying to pull contaminants. It's trying to pull those extras out. And that's the sensation that James is trying to say, is that when it comes to wisdom, wisdom comes from a pure heart that has a direction that wants to go after God. And when we go after God, we do have to ask the question, what are the things contaminating me? What are some of the lifestyles or the decisions or the influences or the things that I'm allowing into my life, into my ears, into my eyes, into my body. What am I allowing? And is that taken away from the direction of the purity that God wants me to be living in? Number two, write this down. The wise love peace. First of all, wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving. It loves peace. Is it me or do we as Americans love contention? Argument is a sport. Some of you are professionals at it because I see your social media. We love contention. But let me say this, that we cannot be wise and constantly stir up strife with arguments. Well, I love to argue. You know what? Other people aren't going to love you. Stop loving arguments. Do I mind debates? I don't mind debates if they're healthy. I don't mind a little bit of contention if it's healthy and it's given the right direction. But there are some people that love strife for the sake of loving strife. James chapter 1, verse 20. Human anger does not produce righteousness God desires. Proverbs 14, 29. A wise man controls his temper. He knows that anger causes mistakes. Proverbs 20, verse 3. It's the mark of good character to avert quarrels, but fools love to pick fights. Mr. T, the great theologian, said it best. I pity the... Exactly. We chase contention. And yet at the same time, I'm here to say this. Conflict resolution is not always possible. Did you know that? 
Some of you think that as a Christian that you always have to be about conflict resolution. Now, now hear my heart. I think that should always be the heart of our conflict, that there should be resolution. But not all conflict is resolvable. Why? Because it requires that both parties play along. And some of y'all are chasing after situations before which you're willing to forgive and you're willing to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness and offer forgiveness. But if the other person's not playing along, I'm going to challenge you that maybe you shouldn't go after conflict resolution as much as you should go after conflict revolution. What is conflict revolution? It's this. If they don't change, then God change me. You want to be wise and follow peace? Peace doesn't come from other people's responses. Peace comes from Jesus. It gives us peace in the state of our soul. And that peace simply says that we might not resolve here, we might not see eye to eye, and you might not want to, to resolve anything, but dang it, I'm going to let God change me. Because that's what Psalms 139 says, that search my heart, oh God. God, if, not, if they're not going to change, if the world's not going to change, if my boss isn't going to change, my coworkers, my spouse, my kids, my parents, then God change me. Number three, the wise, consider it. Wisdom from above is pure, peace-loving, gentle at all times. The NIV says it this way. Get put up here. here it is. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. I like the word considerate. I actually think it's closer in the original language. You know what the definition of considerate is? It's people who consider it. Blew your minds right now, right? Some of you are like, man, this is great stuff. I'm tweeting or Xing. What, what do you call it now? I don't even know what it's called anymore. Uh, in other words, well, who are people who consider it? They are people that don't always know, but they attempt to understand. They don't always know necessarily what's right. Or they're not always in the know. You know all oh, those people in your life that just know everything and they know it? Some of you are in that place. Be considerate. I love what John Maxwell says. He says, give your thoughts a break. You already think them. Considerate people sit back and they'll say this. I've never thought, it, thought about it that way. Now, I've got this hidden rule on my staff that it's not written down on paper, but we have a rule on our staff that's called uh, you have to have a book in the backpack. Now, granted, our staff doesn't all carry backpacks. I carry a backpack. But I've, I've just got this idea that everybody should be reading something at all times. Uh, readers are leaders. And so I just finished up a book. Um, I'll say this. Number, one of the top questions I get from guests whenever they come into the church, one of the top questions, if not the number one question, is how woke are you? I will tell you this. I'm not very woke at all. And so... There's a, there's a book that I just read called Does the Bible Support Same-Sex Marriage? And it's 21 Conversations from a Historically Healthy Christian View. Preston Sprinkle is somebody I highly, highly respect, writes great stuff, speaks great stuff. And what I love is it breaks down 21 conversations about a topic. Well, Pastor, you're not woke. It doesn't mean, for, number one, that I don't love every sing single human being for which I interact with. Number two, it doesn't mean that I will ever restrict any human being from coming in those doors and coming that they would be with Jesus so that they could become like Jesus. And number three, just because I'm not what you think I am, doesn't mean that I don't want to have conversations about tough topics. 
And sometimes we think tough topics are only reserved for the pulpit. Tough topics, we need wisdom to navigate tough topics, which means we need to deepen ourselves. And what I love about, even before Preston gets into the 21 conversations and the 21 arguments, he starts off with a simple chapter called How to Have a Fruitful Conversation. And he says a profitable conversation is not where everybody has to agree. That would be unrealistic and not always helpful. A profitable conversation, rather, is one where everyone feels understood and honored, even if disagreement remains. Then he says this. The quality of our beliefs is obviously important. It is important, by the way. But the manner in which you hold to those beliefs can be equally important. Sometimes how we believe is just as important in what we believe. I think sometimes we are so determined to be right that we missed out on conversations, that we missed the fact that maybe we ought to be listeners. Oh, pastor, I'm not going to agree with what they have to say, but have you listened enough to know where they're coming from? To know their background, to know their hurt, to know their pain, to know maybe what formed their doctrine or what formed their stances. Have we ever taken the time to just consider who they are? We need more of this in our homes. Spouses, some of y'all need to be more considerate to your spouses. Well, I kind of know what I want in the home, but it's not about you. The two become one, not the one became one. Listen, kids, I'm going to blow your mind. Your parents know more than you realize. I don't know all the parents say. Listen, well, I don't want them to tell me what to do. I don't want to make my own decisions. Listen, your parents are not trying to make your decision. They're trying to save you from some pain that they know about. Be considerate. We're sometimes so determined to be right that many times we've never even asked other questions about why we think that we are right. Paul writes to the book, uh, to the church in Rome, and he's actually dealing with quarrels in the church. Did you know sometimes there's fights in the church? I know, sorry, some of you sit on one side, some of you sit on the other side. One of these days during greeting time, we're going to give like two minutes so you can actually go over to the other side and have the sheeps and the goats get together, and I will let you decide who is who. But Paul is dealing with two different groups that are having fights. And he says this in Romans 15. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. He's talking about some, some standards and, quite frankly, some freedoms that he feels that other people in the church don't have. They don't feel like they have those freedoms. Because there are some people that you're going to discover they are going to have different stances on certain issues that are not necessarily sin. There are general things in the scripture that we're all told to, told to abide by. And there are some freedoms that individuals have that others don't. Like I've got a really good friend of mine, he, in, he's in his brain, no secular music ever. If it's not a Christian band, he won't listen to it. I'm like, did you outlaw jingle bells? <laughs> I like poking people. <laughs> did you outlaw Bach or Mozart? Or, and so, but because of things in his life, he's just raised a specific standard, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong. I like me a little Phil Collins. I like me a little Chicago. Uh, some of you are judging me right now. I like 80s and 70s, by the way, because it's the best decade in music. Not a single amen whatsoever. Paul is writing out of that heart. And he says, be considerate. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others to do what's right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't leave to please himself. The scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen upon me. In other words, help them to go toward what's right, which is Jesus. Not help them to live the way that you want them to live. Help them to go toward what's Jesus. What does this? It's wisdom. It's wisdom. 
It's one of the reasons why Ann and I love when we meet new people, we will always say this. Hey, if you ever want to do coffee, if you ever want to have a meal, if you ever want to go out and just get to know each other, we would love to. Why do we do that? It's not because we necessarily like to eat and we like to eat. We like hearing people's stories. Where did you come from? Where did you grow up? Where did, you know, how did you guys meet? It's the number one question people ask us. How did you guys meet? Were you high school sweethearts? I'm like, oh, I took her off an Amish farm years ago. She was churning butter and I saved her out of that. Oh, man, I come up with all sorts of stories. And we love just telling our story because there's something about being considerate that not, it doesn't place you above anybody else. It puts you on even ground and actually gives you wisdom to speak into moments. Considerate. Number four, the wise are willing to yield. The wise are willing to yield. It says, peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. In the ESV, I like the way the ESV says it. ESV says, you're open to reason. Have anybody in your life that's never open to reason? Don't point at them, but we've got them. We have all got them. But they're open to reason. Proverbs 12, verse 15. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise Listen to others. Imagine if we have, let's have a scenario, a presidential debate. Imagine if during a presidential debate that somebody made a statement and the other person gave a different statement. And imagine if that person listening to the other person looked at them, looked at them and said, you know what? I think I might be wrong. You might be right. I'm going to change my whole platform because of that. Thank you for sharing that. Wouldn't that break your brain? <laughs> Could you imagine in 2024 where we have an election? I've already started fasting and praying over that, by the way. Could you imagine during a Republican and Democrat presidential candidates that all of a sudden one shares it and they're like, that's a great idea. I think I might do that before I leave office. That's a great idea. I might do that if I get into the office. Could you imagine if people actually walked in such a way that we're willing to yield and not simply run people over? Some of us think that we're wielding wisdom, and by doing that, we run people over because we're doing it out of the love of Jesus. But if you're running people over and you're leaving disaster in your background, you haven't used wisdom. You used your opinion. The wise are willing to yield. Number five, the wise don't sit on the mistake of others. Full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. Full of mercy. I love those words. We don't sit on the mistake of others. Let me give somebody a word this morning. Here, here you go. Write this down. Three words. If you love to sit on the mistake of others, here's your three. Let it go. Let it go. You don't have to trust them again. Let it go. You don't have to not live with boundaries in your life. Have boundaries in your life. Today, I have boundaries around Bears fans. It's okay. <laughs> Let it go. Well, you don't know what they've done. You're right, I don't know what they've done. But I'm asking you to release it because it's sinking your soul. Forgiveness doesn't justify people. It releases your soul from drowning underneath the weight of the bitterness that wants to take you down. And James tells us in James 2 that the measure that you use, the grace that you use, that's the proportion that God's going to use with you. It means if you use grace and mercy with an eyedropper, guess how much you're telling God to give you. 
And I would rather stand before God one day having shown too much mercy than not enough. I'd rather stand before God one day having used too much grace and not enough. We are called into question about what we are using. And as the wise, we don't stand on the mistake of others. So here's the question I have to ask you. What do you need to stop bringing up? If you don't know the answer, ask your spouse. Ask your kids. Ask your coworkers. And that leads me toward number six. I heard someone groan over here. <laughs> the wise are authentic. Full of mercy and good deeds, showing no favoritism, and as always, sincere. The words favoritism and sincere, when you really dig down, you find the root words of the word hypocrite. Y'all know what a hypocrite is? Of course, pastor. It's why I avoid church, because I get people all the time. Church is full of hypocrites. I'm like, of course they're, they're in there. First of all, that's where they need to be. Second of all, a hypocrite, and what we define, is someone that doesn't always practice what they preach. Is that not the description of most of us human beings where we want to live in one direction and we end up screwing up? And so by nature, we're all hypocritical at one point or another. Of course the church is full of hypocrites because we all need Jesus. But the word hypocrite is actually goes back to ancient Greece where they would have like a, a play for which they needed nine characters, 12 characters, but they had three actors. And those actors were called hypocrites. Why? Because they would put on a mask and they would play a part. And they stepped into a scene, but to step into another scene in another location, they would take that mask off and put on a different mask and become somebody else some, some, on, on, in another place, another location. And they would put on a different mask and they would be somebody else in another location. Does that not sound like what it means to be a hypocrite in today's day and age? But the wise are authentic. We are sincere. We are who we're supposed to be without pretense, without masks. James says you cannot be wise and hide at the same time. We have to be real. We have to be authentic. We have to be sincere. God doesn't bless who you appear to be. He's going to bless who you are. And some of us come into church and we feel like we can't be authentic. And so we walk into church and we've got our mask. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? What's going on? Living the dream. What does that even mean? That's become my thing at the, at the climbing gym now. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Living the dream. And someone finally said, what does that mean? I'm like, I didn't think anybody would ask me questions. Oh, let's, let's parse that out. But why do we need community? Why should you be involved in a table? Why should you serve on a team? Why should you show up to a training? Why can you show up with people where we could take off our masks and see that we're not here to compete with one another. We're here to help complete one another and to be the true body of Jesus Christ. Where I could share my hurts and you could share your hurts. Where you could share your problems, I could share my problems. You could share your celebrations, I could share my celebrations. Where we could take off our masks. Some of y'all need to find a local counselor. And I'm telling you what, if you need one, follow the QR code. My website that I have for my books, speakingfromtheshadows.com. There's a place where you can get help and find local counselors. I've got a couple in this church. I've got people that I know all over the city. Some of you need to go to a counselor. Why? So you can... That little suction cup sound. Take the mask off and simply say these words, I need help. Why? If you want to be wise, you can't be wise putting up the front. You've got to be who God's called you to be. So the question I've got for you this morning is, what am I hiding? And what do I need to come clean with 
Riley, if you could join me. You'll help me shut up here. And so it makes you come to this place. You're not Riley. You're Pete. And it brings us to this place that has a very odd scripture because we've read all of these scriptures and we're now to verse 18. And this is a very, very odd scripture because it doesn't seem like it flows with anybody else, anything else. Because it says in verse 18, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. It sounds like that James took a completely different direction. Here's wisdom. Here's what wisdom looks like. Here's the characteristics of wisdom. Oh, by the way, those who are peacemakers, and you're like, what does that have to do? James, did you not take your medicine today? James, did you just have just a squirrel moment where you just went into a different direction? But what James is saying this, is that when you are wise, there is an effect that you have. Because the word peacemakers here in the original Greek language, it literally means you are a peacemaker in the world. Like globally. That's like big ramifications. What does that mean? Is that when we choose to walk in the wisdom from God, that you could literally start changing the world around you because you're not becoming an agent of your own intelligence, you're agents of your own opinion. You're now an agent of peace because when you walk in the wisdom of God, peace follows you. You're an agent of change. You're an agent of transformation because instead of speaking chaos into chaos, instead of just spinning the carousel faster and people are getting sick on the wheel of what the culture has given us, you get to stop it and simply breathe wisdom and become an agent of peace. You see, the more we learn God's wisdom, the more that that we will discern God's ways. And the more we discern God's ways, the more that we will know the best for his life. But it all begins with us knowing wisdom. You want to be an agent of peace at work? Be a person of wisdom. You want to be an agent of peace in your home? Be an agent of uh, more wisdom at home. Be an agent of peace. What about in your neighborhoods? What about in your gyms? What about in your families? Some of us are chasing after so many things to try to resolve this so many. How about we just go after wisdom? Jesus is the wisdom of God. And if we will learn to love wisdom and to chase wisdom, don't be surprised if your world around you begins to transform, not because you've added to the fuel of the fire, but you begin to come on and breathe peace and breathe the peace that passes understanding. That's the work of Jesus. Pray with me this morning. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your peace. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. And Lord, as I re- recognize that there's so many people here that are just coming from different walks of life, different, different levels of chaos. And we recognize this beautiful book you gave us, Lord, was written to a church scattered in chaos. But even in the middle of that, you can help empower us through wisdom to be agents of peace more in them than they've ever expected or imagined. Not because of anything that they have been, but because of who they become today, new creatures in Jesus Christ. So we say to you, the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be the honor and the glory forever and ever and ever.